here. Um, you guys can take your Bibles out. It's going to be a little bit different tonight, but don't worry. I'm still using the Bible. It's not. It's not a not a strange book that we're going to pull out here. What? Not not like a a pamphlet or some new uh, get rich quick scheme or anything like that. It's it's going to be the Bible. But but the Lord really, I think, in the last couple hours, led me to something different than what I was planning. So those are not. I would say I hate it when he does that, but usually it's, you know, he's the God of all comfort, and he gets to decide what's comfortable, I guess. So um, we're going to go ahead and be in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and what I'm going to do is go a little bit shorter, and we're going we're gonna to just enter into a time of, of prayer. We're going to take communion together. Uh, there's things, you know, even partway through, Ben's going to come come up and and we're going to uh, we're going to kind of I'll lead through kind of a group prayer not forcing anybody to pray but we're going to spend some time in praying together and so I'll show you the text we'll work our way through it um, but again it's not not some in-depth um, exegetical study like I I normally try and do um, because God I was ready to get us ready for Philippians. We were going to be in Philippians tonight. Um, we will still end up getting into Philippians, but it, it just was fighting with him all day, it felt like. Um, and so actually, technically, if you want to read ahead, we'll be in Acts 16 a little bit and Philippians 1 a little bit next week. Um, at least that's the plan, but as you can see how plans go. Um, anyways, we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 2 tonight. And if you guys aren't aware, um, let me go ahead and if you guys have that open, let's go ahead and I got a couple announcements. They're really brief. Resurrection Sunday is coming up. Yes. We're very close to that, which is one reason why I was led to do this instead. Um, it'll make sense in a minute. And we've got also Good Friday service. So Resurrection Sunday, 10 a.m., normal time. We're going to get together, and no matter what the rules are, um, the freedom that, that I'm expressing in Christ is that we're going to worship him and I won't tell anybody they can't be here. So uh, that's just how it's going to go. If you, want, if you want to bring a friend, bring a friend. I promise to talk about Jesus and the fact that he's alive. So that's, that's the goal on, on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Good Friday, we're going to get together at 6 p.m. We'll take communion again. Um, I don't think that you can take it too often, so we're going to take it again, uh, spend some time in worship, and mo more of a reading than a teaching, we're going to read through kind of in order how the, the last few hours of the, the life of, of Jesus ended up. So that's what we'll do as a celebration of, of the fact that he died on the cross for our sins. So that's the two biggest, bigger announcements. Um, so we'll, we'll worry about any of the other stuff later, um, but that'll get us into what we're doing tonight, which kind of pertains to the fact that, you know, Easter or Resurrection Sunday is coming up very, very soon. Um, I, I have the mentality like, it's okay, I'm in March, but the first Sunday of April is Resurrection Sunday. So if I don't focus and, and get us mentally ready um, and get myself mentally ready, then, well, we just won't be ready. And there's no reason to be surprised it's been on the calendar. I mean, we know when next year's is going to be too. So um, anyways, so there's that. Uh, with Resurrection Sunday, the only other thing I would say is, is probably the week before we're going to announce um, just a couple little things if you guys want to volunteer to help. Uh, there'll be a few things like helping maybe with coffee and, 
and we'll talk, just making sure we have all the bases covered. That way, if we do have, uh, you know, extra friends or family that come, um, everything's kind of taken care of so that it's, it's, you know, relaxed and nobody has to be worrying about um, who's covering what and doing what. And we're just, we're able to just be relaxed and spend time together uh, reflecting on the fact that Jesus is alive, right? Okay, so let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into the text. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity tonight and you know that I'm way out of my comfort zone right now. And I pray, God, that you would use this as a time to glorify Jesus that you would use this as a time to um, draw us closer to you, to come into the full knowledge of Christ. Um, we want to grow in prayer. We want to grow in all that you have for us, God. We, we need you. I pray for your guidance, your direction, your protection as we go through this. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to pick it up in 1 Timothy chapter 2. But, but Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, as well as Titus, are what we call the pastoral epistles. Some people would even group Philemon into that, um, if you wanted to check that one chapter book out. Uh, but anyways, they're the, these pastoral epistles written by Paul and 1 and 2 Timothy. This is actually going to be helpful to us anyways, because guess who the other author, besides the Holy Spirit, is of Philippians? It's Timothy. Paul and Timothy write the book of Philippians together, and then he sends Timothy to Philippi. So it's not a bad thing to get to know a little bit about Timothy. Timothy was a young man, we'll learn in Acts 16, who started along with Paul in his missionary journeys, and um, he was half Jewish, half Greek, and he ended up going along with, with Paul, and he trained him up to be a young pastor. And at this point, when he's writing to Timothy, Timothy is the pastor of Ephesus. So the book we just finished, uh, that's where Timothy is the pastor of it, at this point, at least from what I, I was able to read about. And so Timothy being that pastor, Paul's given him that encouragement. Hey, you, you know what you're doing. You were with me. You saw me do these things. Let me encourage you in these ways and kind of gives him this direction. Uh, and as he's going through, giving him direction of what to do, you know, um, Chapter one, you know, in Paul's typical way is laying out a lot of doctrine. Now here in chapter two, um, since it's pastoral in nature, he's sharing with Timothy how to be a shepherd or a pastor or an overseer of God's church. But what he tells him here in first Timothy one, we're going to read down to verse seven. So we'll read one through seven right here, and then we'll just work our way through it. And um, you'll get the gist of what's going to happen tonight. So he says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For, verse 5, for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth and I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So we're taking a little excerpt out of this pastoral epistle and taking a look at one of the things that Paul tells him to do. Now he says, 
to Timothy, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. What does he mean by first of all? It's first in priority. So he's telling this young pastor, you need to prioritize prayer in the church. And as I was studying, like I said, I was planning on going in a different direction, kind of introducing the book of Philippians, and we'll work our way through the book of Philippians together, which I think is going to be very applicable. It's a, it's a uh, one of the prison epistles that deals with Paul being in prison, but also full of joy. He's facing persecution, but not even jail can take the joy away from Paul. And so I think that even as we face these unknown circumstances in our own lives and in our own nation, um, in our own world, it's important that Paul being stuck in prison was still full of joy. So that's going to be helpful for us as we go through that. I think it'll be very applicable Um, If not immediately, it will be in the future. But what we have looking here is Timothy, a guy who actually spent time in the clink with Paul. Um, And he he tells him that he wants wants him to to prioritize these four types of prayer. And I think as, as one of the things I was struggling with as I was studying today is I know what I was reading I understood what I was reading, but it was like, this isn't what we're supposed to do today. It just felt like what we were going to do was we were going to do a Bible study because we always do a Bible study. And it's just what we do is that on Wednesdays we do a Bible study. And so it was in a sense, we were almost in my mind, and, and maybe this is just me, I was becoming traditional for the sake of tradition in order to just do a Bible study. Is there anything wrong with studying the Bible? There's everything right with studying the Bible. We should be studying the Bible. We should know what it says. We should be completely and totally involved in, in spending time in the Word and having the Word um, get into us. Like we just read about the armor of God, right? And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is critical for us to understand and know what it is that we should be studying um, and how it is that we can use that vital piece of offensive weaponry that we've been given. And so we, we want to be in the word, but I don't want to do it just out of habit. I don't want to do it just because it's time to be in the word. Um, even as last week when we talked, we were in Revelation chapter two, and we were talking about how, you know, Ephesus in a sense gets a checkup from Jesus to see how they're doing 40 some years later. Um, they left their first love. And this morning, one of the things I was reminded of, even just like it was like I was being whispered to by, by the Holy Spirit as I was waking up, and this is for me, so I'm just sharing what, for me, I'm not trying to give something to you guys, but I remember that I had this thing, and I can easily make it legalistic, which is why I stopped doing it, but then I also neglected all kinds of other things, is I was reminded by the Lord where he said, you remember when Early on, you made that decision that I will not read anything else until I've read the Bible. I won't read a newspaper. I won't read a headline. I won't read a single thing until I've read the Bible. Um, And you can see how that can become legalistic because then I could say, well, I'm not being a Christian if I don't do that. But I was reminded of the importance and the priority of it without it being a legalistic rule. It's not like, oh, shoot, there was, you know, the magnets were arranged in a certain way on the fridge, and I just read it as I walked by to get my coffee ready to read the Bible. I, I broke the rules, you know, but, but in, a, in a sense, it was just that, that reminder when I woke up of the priority of being in the Word, but also the priority of listening to God and being in the Spirit. And so as we see that um, Paul is urging Timothy 
not just for himself, but to conduct the church in a way that they prioritize being in prayer. And so we have that as a first of all. First of all in priority, I urge, or uh, oftentimes that Greek word is translated, I exhort, uh, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. We'll look at that in a minute. Those four types of prayer, we're going to walk ourselves through those and pray in that way together. And then we're going to take communion. So that's my goal tonight. But let's look a little bit more at the text and see if that doesn't inspire us a little bit more in our prayer. So we've got supplications. That's, those are requests when we ask things of the Lord, which means, guess what? We can ask things of God. Now, James warns us not to ask according to our own lusts or our own flesh. We have not because we ask amiss, he says, and we're asking after our own flesh. We're, we're not called to do that, but we are actually given permission by the Holy Spirit, to ask things of our Father in heaven. We're allowed to. Even Jesus said that. When we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread, right? We're allowed to ask for our provisions. We can ask the Lord for things. Um, The next one is prayers. And what we should be reminded of this, and and to me, when early on was helpful, is prayer is, it's simply talking to God, being able to spend time speaking with him. But this idea of prayer that he's using here is the idea of the holiness and the privilege we have with talking to God. It's not just prayer, but there's a holiness and a worshipfulness that takes place when we get to commune with the living God. So it's not just talking at God, but communing with God. There's a fellowship that's involved in that prayer. The, the next one is intercessions, where that's where we're, we're able to pray for others on behalf of them. Now, this will remind us, because this was one of the things that caused me to shift gears and change to this instead, was we have Easter coming up, Resurrection Sunday coming up. And honestly, it's a day that we remember something important that happened But that specific day, there's nothing magical about the 2021 Resurrection Sunday. Does that make sense? It is a day on the calendar. It's a day in which we can use to remember the Lord. But the the power that happened was in the day 2021 years ago, which actually wasn't 2021 years ago. It was 909, anyways, it doesn't, 1996 years ago or something like that. So it was almost 2,000 years ago where Christ actually raised from the dead. That's, but we're remembering that, we're commemorating that. And what we can do with that is that even though the, um, the Christianness of the nation that we live in, and I'm not saying that we're a Christian nation even, but the fact that people have some sort of a concept and even some people feel semi-obligated to attend church on Resurrection Sunday, you, you don't get points for it, by the way. You, you understand that, right? There's no points for attendance in church. But we have this mentality and, and we have the opportunity with that mentality to go ahead and say, hey, you feel like you need to come? Why don't you come? And we can have the opportunity to, to pray for our friends and bring them to the Lord. Does that mean it has to happen in a church? No. Pray with them wherever you want, whenever you can, and they can come to the Lord on the beach. They can come to the Lord you know, in their car. It's, the Lord uses all kinds of means and opportunities for people to come to the Lord. It's always through the gospel, 
but I think it's important we forget sometimes that we can be studying the Bible so much, but if it's not backed up by prayer, and specifically the prayer of intercession, we're missing out on the power that can take place by the Holy Spirit in him working through our hearts and and minds in our own lives and in the lives of others. So we want to intercede for those people to stand in the gap, as as people like to put it. Um, It's an Old Testament um, allusion. To stand in the gap for others, to be praying for them, to be lifting them up. So we have, um, if I'm looking at it, we have supplications, prayers, intercessions, and then thanksgivings. I know that it's Resurrection Sunday or Easter, but you can be... You can celebrate Thanksgiving on Easter. It's great. Um, we're, we're to be thankful people. And there are entire psalms that are only psalms of thanksgiving, of giving thanks to the Lord. We should, we should find those things. Even as when Ben was leading us in worship, when he was like, hey, what's something that you can say right now out loud that you're thankful for, that God has done for you? And, and some of you guys said some, well, you all said some amazing, I don't mean to say some of you said amazing. You all said great things, you know, sobriety, the, the faithfulness of God, the blood of Jesus, all of those things were, were amazingly great things. And, and as we come together, it's important to remind ourselves of the things that we can be thankful for. And the reason I think with those four types of prayer to come together as the church and be reminded of those things is we're reminded that God still answers prayer. And so when we have the opportunity, which I want to create more chances more often as the, the year continues on, to be prayerful with each other, but also to be thankful with each other so that, you know, that thing we lifted up last time, the Lord answered it in this way this time. And we get, it helps all of our faith be built up because we can see that God still answers prayer. We believe in a living God who hears his children and responds to our cries. That's, that's an amazing privilege. And so those four things can bring us together and to grow faith. And this is, verse two is something that sometimes I think it's really easy for us to forget. He said, well, I I forgot this part, to be made for all people, which is a great reminder, especially when it comes to supplication. You mean pray for that guy or that person? But they offended me. They're the reason for my bitterness. Then pray for them especially. Um, We can pray for all people. Yeah, but the president, what if I don't like him? Well, verse two says, for kings and for all who are in high positions. And I think we forget that as, as uh, Christians sometimes, that we, we think that, oh, when I like the president, I can pray for him. When I don't like him, I can not pray, or I won't pray for him. You know, we end up having that fiddler on the roof prayer where the, they're like, is there, is there any blessing for the czar? And he says, yes, there's a blessing for everything. May the Lord bless the czar and keep him far away from us. And in a sense, that's what Paul ends up saying. He says, pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. In other words, let them mind their own business away from us. We just want to live for Jesus, okay? I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek there, but it's important for us to remember that even if we don't like the policies that are going forward, even if we don't like what we feel as being oppressive, we obey God first above and beyond anything and anyone else. And anything that hinders us from worshiping God and obeying God, we can disobey. And I did just say that and it did go over the internet. But, but if it's not hindering me from worshiping God and it's not preventing me from obeying God, then I can be prayerful that God would, what does it say in the Proverbs? That God 
um, steers the hearts of kings. And we can be prayerful that, that the, the kings, the presidents, the governors, the people that are in charge of us, we can be prayerful that God would steer their hearts so that we can be free to worship as our conscience dictates, as, as the Holy Spirit leads us, that we would wor- be able to worship in that way. But if not, then we worship anyway. You know, even as uh, Ben was reminding me um, before church started, th- this, this great, and I'm giving you the credit for this, but um, this great observation within the book of Judges and in the book of 1 Samuel is that God used the judges of God to throw off the oppressors. You know, you'd have, you'd have the, the Amorites or the Midianites or all these, the flashlights were all doing these things against uh, the children of Israel, and they would oppress them for so long, you know, 40 years, and then they would, God would, they would cry out, God would raise up a judge, and so on. But they would use the craziest weapons, an ox goat, or the, the jawbone of a donkey, or, you know, um, just, just the most bizarre things that they would find, because what we didn't, what we don't realize, and again, I, I, this was a great reminder for me, what we don't realize is that when you get into the book of 1 Samuel, which is the continuation, Samuel was the last judge, and then we have Saul being the first king, so it's that transitional period, that until Saul, because the Philistines were oppressing the children of Israel, they killed all of the blacksmiths. In other words, if you wanted your, your pickaxe sharpened, if you wanted your your ox goad sharpened, you had to go to the Philistines to sharpen it. The children of Israel were able to be oppressed because they were weaponless. But God was able to fight off oppressors without weapons, with whatever was found in their hands. They didn't need the Second Amendment. God was able to thrive without it, which is a reminder for all of us. And I'm, do I like the Second Amendment? Absolutely. I think it's there for a very good and important reason. But is it the end of the world if it goes away? Actually, God can show himself mightier in the hand of Samson than he can in the hand of Saul. You know, Saul was the first guy with a sword. I mean, we, oh, well, I should say Ehud, we just read about, he had the sword in his left hand. He, you know, that whole story, that was a couple, was that last week? Um, but Saul really was the first guy. And then there's a point where it says Saul and Jonathan were the only ones in the army with swords. And God was able to show himself mighty in their hands. What, did David have a sword? He had to borrow Goliath's sword to chop his own head off. He used a sling and a stone because the Lord was the one who was shown mighty. The Lord was the one that was shown strong. All that is to say, we can pray for kings. We can pray for those people who are over us and pray ultimately for this. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. You'll, you'll see what we're supposed to pray for here in a second. But he says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. See, I think sometimes we, we remember that we're supposed to be praying, but we, we delete verse two out of it and we just go on to verse three. But it says that we're to be godly and dignified. And based on some Facebook posts, I would say there's Christians out there that have forgotten that we're supposed to be praying for our kings and to be godly and dignified. Now, to be godly means to reflect the character of our God. We, ref- we are representatives of him because we're his kids. Just like I tell my kids, you know, in some ways you reflect whether or not I'm doing a decent job as a parent, you know. Um, and so even in, in that way, we reflect the Lord in some ways. It doesn't mean we're godlike. It's godly. There's a difference. We don't have his attributes, 
but we reflect his character. And so we're to be godly and dignified. And one of the ways we can be reminded of that is being prayerful of other people, even those people who would oppress us. Remember who's in charge, Nero, the Caesar Nero, who lit Christians on fire, who was completely psychotic, was the one in charge when Paul is writing this. We haven't had that yet. So we need to kind of temper our, our, our anger a little bit. We need to be careful that we're, we're not neglecting being godly and dignified in, in most ways or in every way. It says in every way. He says in verse 3, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, that's the, that's the thing. is We can pray this way, even the kings and those who are in charge of us, because why? We want them to come to the knowledge of the truth. What did Jesus say when he was standing in front of Pilate? He came to testify of the truth, and, and Pilate said, what is truth? Like, he wasn't willing to hear that, but even as, as Paul reminds Timothy in t- 2 Timothy that this was the good testimony of our Lord when he stood before Pontius Pilate that he testified of the truth, being the truth himself. And so we can know that, that in our prayers, we're lifting up these kings and those in authority over us because we don't just want them to leave us alone. We want them to come to the knowledge of the truth. I know you know better than they do. I know that. You've read, you've read way more articles on the internet, so you know better than they do. But I'm being tongue-in-cheek, sorry. A little bit of sarcasm there. I need to, it's sanctified sarcasm, it's okay. Um, I'm just kidding. But the idea is, is that we want to be those who know the truth, not the things that are obscure articles on the internet, but the actual word of God in the pages that the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to write down. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable and I can't remember the order of the things, but for um, training in righteousness, and you can look that up. It's in 2 Timothy 3.16. But we, we, we know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's how we know the truth, not because we've read certain articles or, and we know better than the president or vice president or governor or any of those people. We probably do. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit to discern, discern for us, and they don't. Not if they're not saved but we can pray for them that they become saved, that they come to the knowledge of truth. Because what is pointed out to us here in uh, verse three, that this is good. What is good? Praying this way, praying for all people, praying for those in authority, living a, oh, I've skipped it, a peaceful and quiet life. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to miss this. The idea of peace is that we would be content within because we have peace with God. The idea of quiet is that we're, content without, the, the, the idea of being um, things being peaceful on the outside. So we have the quietness on the outside and the peacefulness on the inside. Paul's just like, look, I just want to worship Jesus, and I don't want people telling me how I can and can't do it, and I want people to know the same Lord that I know. And that's, that's my prayer. Just let me share the gospel and let me worship God. And I think that that's, that's a nice... Uh, direction to, to aim our prayers. And he says, um, it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Um, did you know that God was your Savior? Amen. What he's doing right there, and I think this is a great reminder for us as well, is that you, do you know the, the living Caesar in the Caesar worship cult? 
um, was known as the Soter, the Savior. And so what Paul is reminding them of is, is something very simple that we need to be reminded of too. The government is not my Savior. God is. It doesn't matter who Caesar is. It matters who Jesus is. And so by saying God our Savior, it's almost like that reminder because they would have heard that, that Caesar is the Savior. But he's saying, no, 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 it's not Caesar, it's God. You need to be, we need to remember that as upset as we can get as the direction of the different, whether we like the way the government's going or we don't like the way the government's going, it doesn't matter because the government is not my Savior. God is. My hope is not in men, but in the Son of Man who died for me, who bled for me, who paid for my sins, and he rose again. That's where my hope is. That's who my Savior is. I don't need to worry about who um, is in the Oval Office. I need to worry about who's on the throne in heaven. We can, you know, yes, the right person makes it easier. We can live that quiet, peaceable life. But nobody can take the peace that we have with God. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that. We have peace that passes understanding according to Philippians. So we need to remember that, that the government's not our savior, the Caesar is not our savior, but it's God that's our savior. And then he says that he desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, of the truth. And I would just remind us of that. Who am I supposed to share the gospel with? Well, he wants all people to be saved, and the means by which we're saved is hearing the word of truth and believing in our heart that, that Jesus um, is risen. And so, you know, Ephesians 1.13 tells us that we heard the word of truth, believed in our hearts the gospel of our salvation, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's what ends up happening. And so in order to be saved, we've got to hear the gospel, and who do we share it with? It says he wants all people to be saved, so let's share it with everybody. He, um, and so that's a, a reminder for us tonight as we come into that moment of prayer, when we come into that moment of intercession, that might be the time where we're all quiet, but I want you guys to think of a handful of people. Just already have those guys, just write their names down, whatever you need to do. And until, let's just aim for until Resurrection Sunday, until that Easter, every single day we're gonna lift those people up. And we're going to say, Lord, would you save that person? Would you reveal your son to them in a way that they can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? That's what we want to do. That's one reason why I was like, we, this is more important than just gaining more knowledge about Philippians. We want to spend time in prayer so that we can lift people up. He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge, the full knowledge, not just to know a little bit. And that's... That's one of the things that challenges me is, as a Bible teacher is I don't want us to be people who memorize facts about the Bible. I want us to know the author. I want us to know Jesus, to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the fa Father but by me. In John 8, 32, he said, you will know the truth, and it's the truth that will set you free. Jesus Christ is the truth that will set you free, and we come into the full knowledge of him because the truth isn't just a thing, but it's a person. It's the one who died on the cross and rose for our sins. We can come into a full knowledge of him, and that's what it is to be saved, to know him. That's why when you hear Christians speak Christianese and they say, I know Jesus, that's what they're referring to, that he, he desires all men to come to a full knowledge of the truth. And then he says in verse five, for there is one God, amen, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So 
this is one for, if you're trying to think of what's a good memory verse, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. If you came from a Catholic background, this is a good one to remember. And what's the privilege that we have? We don't need to go to a priest. We don't need to go to a pastor. We don't need to go to anyone else. We can, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet and lock, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in secret. We don't need to go to somebody else. We have one mediator and his name is Jesus. We don't need Mary. We don't need another saint. We need Jesus Christ and him only. It says there's one God and one mediator between God and men. That's, he's the one that goes between us. Hebrews chapter eight, Hebrews chapter nine, and Hebrews chapter 12 talk about him being the mediator of the new covenant. The old covenant was, if you do this, you will live. The new covenant is, I have done this so you can live. He's the one who made that happen. He's the one who stepped, stood in the gap for us by dying on the cross in our place so that we can have eternal life in him. He's, he is the mediator, one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ. Jesus. Now, the interesting thing is he uses the word anthropos instead of the word aner, which is man normally if you were just talking about a single man. But anthropos is the word where we get our anthropology, where we're talking about humanity. He's the one who steps in, not just for males, but for all of humanity. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, the, the perfect man, the, the last Adam as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, who stepped in our place and became that mediator. Why? It says that he gave himself in verse six. He gave himself. That's why it's so important for us to understand that Jesus is God. There's one God and Jesus is him. He gave himself. It wasn't God creating a being to deal with the sin problem, but him stepping in in the gap for us to pay for our sins himself, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So who did Jesus die for? All. If anybody has a question about that, read this again, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Not all kinds of people, but all people. Jesus gave himself for all. Now, I know there's some debate amongst that. I'm just telling you what it says. It doesn't say kinds, it says all. So he died for all people as a ransom. I love that word ransom. This is the only time this Greek word happens in the New Testament. And it's, it, what it means is um, it's the payment. Oh, I had this at the top of my head. It's the payment, uh, the means of our release. That's, so what we have to understand is prior to Christ, we are trapped in sin. We're locked in a cell. We have no escape, but he became the payment in order to release us from the prison that we were in of sin. Does that mean, that means that we, we don't have any way of earning it. We don't have any way of saying, I'm almost there. I will come to this knowledge. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, according to the scriptures, and he rose again for your sins, if you believe that that was the ransom necessary to free you, that's all that's necessary. You can't add to the payment that he made. The ransom was paid for. Just like what you're thinking when a ransom, you watch one of those detective movies or one of those thrillers or whatever, when somebody you know, is holding a hostage, you know, we're not giving, we're not 
gonna let this person free until the ransom demands are met. The ransom demand was met in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, by dying on the cross in our place so that there's no other payment necessary for us to be saved. All we have to do, he's thrown the captive, he's thrown the prison doors open. All we have to do as the captives are is to walk out of those prison doors and into a relationship with Jesus by faith. It's not anything we can do. It's not anything we can earn. We just say yes. We just agree to the terms that Christ paid for my sins. That, that's critical for us to understand. And because he did that for us, he does it for all. And so therefore, we, how do we pray for uh, the king, the president who's over us? That he would accept the terms of the ransom that were paid on his behalf and be a free person instead of enslaved to his sin. Am I calling him out? I, I don't know the man. I don't know his heart but I do know that Jesus was the ransom that was paid for all. And until he accepts the terms of his release, he's stuck in the prison. Whether he's done that or not, that's between him and God. But we know how to pray for him now. We know how to pray for all those people who are in charge of us, who, who rule over us. And Romans 13 says that God knew what he was doing when he put them in charge of us, even if we don't like who they are. So, I'm getting a little bit excited about it, but the, the, he was the ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus came at the right time. At the right time, Christ died for us. And we could go into the whole timing thing of that. That's its own study, which is an amazing, amazing thing. The perfect timing at which Christ died was the timing that was given in Daniel chapter nine. You can look that up for funsies if you want later. But... But Christ gave the, the, or he came and paid at the exact right time. So the last thing I wanted us to see here is in verse seven, he says, for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth and I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is what Paul came to do for people to know about the ransom that was paid so that his church would continue to be in prayer. It's not just about studying the Bible, but it's about applying the Bible through prayer. Talking to the God of the Bible is just as important as um, properly exegeting the scriptures, properly digging through and having the right interpretation of the text Every bit is important. If you don't pray, there's no application to what it is that we're learning. We're not applying it if we're not praying it in. And oftentimes, because I'm long-winded, we end up having, you know, we spend a little bit of time in the text, and then I'm like, you know, we just say, let's sing the last song and go on our way. But I want us to be able to take the time now. We have we have several minutes left. We can pray our way through this and we can, we can grab these four types of prayer and hopefully be inspired that Christ died, was buried, and rose again for my sins and for the sins of my enemies and for the people I hate and for the neighbor who's a pain. He died for all of them and we can lift all of them up. We have things to be thankful for. We have things to ask him for, but we can all be people who worshipfully and in holiness pray and, and talk to our God. So um, Ben's going to lead us and we're going to kind of work together and we're going to pray together as a, as a church. I will not make anybody who's not comfortable talking out loud, talk out loud. But I would encourage you, even if it's three words, to grow in that. It's really hard. 
but it's so worth it. I remember it took me a whole year and a half worth of courage at a small, small Bible study to be able to go, Lord, thank you for what you did. And just, that's, that's it. Like, I got nothing else. My heart's like, it's okay. We, you know, you got, exactly, you got to start somewhere. Thank you. If you want to do 100 push-ups, you got to start with one. So um, we got we to gotta just kind of grow in that together. And if you can't pray here, you can't, where else are you going to pray? Are we going to wait for jail to learn how to pray? Let's learn how to pray in church so that if there ever comes a time where we're, where we're um, persecuted for our faith, like the majority of our brothers and sisters are in this world, we know how, we know how to do it. All right, let's, and we can lift them up too, by the way. So let's go ahead and pray, and Ben, you can lead us in the next song, and, and we'll work through those four kinds of prayer together. Father, we are grateful for your word, and we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Jesus Christ. And it's by his name that we approach because he is the one mediator that we need. I pray by your spirit that you enable us to to worship and to pray in a way that's honoring to you, in a way that glorifies you. Um, We need your help in this. And and even having this be what we're doing instead of uh, going through Philippians was a step of faith. And I pray that you would just honor that. Uh, We love you and we praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.
For it was on that old cross Jesus suffered and died To pardon and sanctify me So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down finishing with communion, but I want us to, first of all, as Paul says, first of all, the idea behind this whole thing is that we prioritize prayer. And I'm saying this as a person who has to grow in this because I don't prioritize it. Um, Sometimes we look at it as, well, there's nothing else to do, so we might as well pray instead of the first thing we need to do is pray. And the Lord provides what we need, um, it says in Philippians that he provides all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Again, James warns us not to ask for things according to our own flesh or for our own desires, but that the Lord would steer our desires for him. Psalm 34 ends up telling us that, um, that to desire the Lord, if we desire the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our heart. But the idea is that we desire him and he's more than willing to give us himself. It's not so that we can get that car or that you know, house or that bigger and better thing, but so that he'll meet our needs according to his riches and glory. And so the first thing that he mentions in prayer is that supplications, we're allowed to ask God for things. Now, uh, you're welcome to ask him out loud for things, um, but even if you just are whispering to him right now, I want to take a moment for us to remember that we can talk to God and we're allowed. Even as Charles Spurgeon said, it's cashing the check, the check of faith. That God gave us permission to ask for things, not for any other reason that he said we could. You know, and we do want to check our hearts and make sure we're asking according to his will, but we can submit ourselves to him and ask for those things. So I want to take a moment. If, if you want to pray out loud, you can. Um, but let's, let's give ourselves a few minutes in, in just quiet prayer, um, asking the Lord to meet our needs according to his riches and not according to our 
works or our um, great faith, but according to his riches. So let's, let's go ahead and lift those things up. Father, we are grateful for you, and we, we just pray that you would guide and direct this time of prayer, that you would show us what we ought to ask for, and that you would provide those things. Um, you know our needs before we even ask, but you ask us to ask. You want us to ask. Lord, even as John said, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. We're asking as your kids for these things. So put on our hearts the right things to ask for. Help us to ask according to your will. Uh, in Jesus' name.
Yes, Lord, we, we're grateful for you. We, we thank you for, Lord, I just thank you that I didn't hear a single selfish prayer in, in all of that. Lord, we're asking for your glory to be manifested in our lives in, in different ways and, and amongst different people. And, and um, I'm just grateful for the, the time that we have in, in being able to ask for things. And, and we, we do desire your glory. We desire more holiness in ourselves. Um, that you would increase, that we would decrease, and that we would know you, Lord. Um, We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. That's me not thinking. The the next uh, portion he says is prayers, and the idea behind that is just talking to God. And so kind of what I was thinking was, is we could do the next song, which the idea behind prayers is also an act of worship. So um, it's... As we sing the next song, don't feel obligated to sing, but even just as the music is playing, talk to God. Just talk to him. Um, Moses was able to talk to God as, as a friend. We, uh, we're able to, to have that relationship where we can talk to God in a sense face to face. Jesus said that um, when you do what I ask uh, in John uh, 16, I believe it is, he said, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. And so we're able to have that relationship with him and to talk to him. And so as we sing this next song, this is a great opportunity not just to sing because the words are in front of us, but to even with the music there, talk to the Lord out loud. Be able to, you know, we don't have to talk loud enough for the person next to you to even hear. But the Lord hears and the Lord knows. And so we have this, this chance right now as we worship to, to, in a way, worshipfully speak to him. Uh, And the next thing after that we'll do is intercession. But let's go ahead and, and sit, stand, kneel by your seat, whatever you feel like you need to do in worship of the Lord. Um, But let's talk to him and sing to him as we do this next song.
build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation and I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. intercession where we we lift people up and um, that that can be interceding for a family member it can be interceding for an enemy it can be interceding for anyone we're lifting up other people and it's not just about salvation although I think that that's that's huge especially in light of the text that God desires all people to come to the knowledge of him that, that because Christ is is the one mediator between God and men and became the ransom for all we do want to see people saved, but we can also intercede in other ways for people who are sick, for people who are in need. Um, we can lift different people up, and, and um, so I want to give us a few moments to do that. And, and if that means for yourself, just writing their name down and whispering it to the Lord, then do that. If you know, we obviously in a group setting, we don't want to overshare things, and you know, and use this as an opportunity for gossip or dragging somebody's name through the mud but we do want to lift people up and we want to lift people up before the throne of grace Um, we're allowed according to Hebrews chapter 4 to come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need and in a sense we want to bring those other people before that throne of grace so that they can find their help whether that, that need is salvation or whether that need is healing or whether that need is just some other thing God knows what we need even before we ask. And so I think it's wise for us to be praying for other people. It helps us to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto the one who can actually deal with the problem. Um, One prayer that I have seen the Lord answer is just the request for him to reveal his son to whoever it is. There's things that I can say that can be helpful, but there's ways that the Holy Spirit can turn the light on for somebody that I'm, with a thousand words, never going to do what the Holy Spirit can do with one. 
And so we want to we want to come together. He he uses the foolishness of preaching. It says in First Corinthians one. It says that how will they hear unless someone tells them in Romans chapter ten. So he does use us, but I believe that it's us with the word of God, by the spirit of God, using the people of God, that people come to know who Jesus is. So again, not just salvation, but that is definitely something we can be praying for. So let's take a moment, um, lift different people's names up. Again, just if you don't want to do it out loud, that's fine. If you want to write it down and whisper their name, just lift people up. Um, a long list, a short list, whatever your list is, let's bring people before the throne of grace.
lift our friends and family up to you. Lord, even as your word says, that they shall know the truth and the truth will set them free. We pray for the knowledge of the truth. And even for those of us who are, are lifting up people who already know you, that they'd be reminded of the truth, that Jesus is the truth that they need. No matter what their need is, it is found in Christ. Lord, we lift up our friends. We lift up our family. Continue to put different people on our hearts. Continue to allow us to be those intercessory people who pray and lift people up before your throne of grace. We are grateful to be a part of it. Lord, it's you, you're the one doing all the work. You're the one doing the saving. We just, we want to be used by you for your glory, for your honor, for your holiness, that people would know you and the power of your resurrection and even the fellowship of your suffering. Lord, because it's in that suffering that we can be drawn closer and closer to you. But we can truly, not self-inflicted suffering, but just in the daily grind of life, find out that you're all we really need. You are the one that we have been longing for that nothing else will satisfy. We love you, God. And pray for this next time that we, we would just spend time being thankful that we would um, spend time in thanksgiving and, and spend time in communion with you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I kind of wanted to do it this way, which might sound a little bit odd, but we're going to save the thanksgiving for the very end after we take the communion because it's a reminder of what Christ did for us. And so therefore... Since we can be reminded of what Christ has done for us, we can respond with thanksgiving. It shouldn't just be some, it can be somber and we should give it value. I, I will say that 100%, I believe that. But we should also respond with thanksgiving to the gift that God has given us with, through his son on the cross. And what communion is, is it reminds us of those things. So as even as, as you guys are, are preparing as we do this next song, grab your communion. We'll take communion together. Hold on to it. You can peel the top layer off if you want during the song because uh, it's a little bit loud. Um, but get that ready as we sing this last song. We will take communion together. We'll spend time saying thank you, and then we'll go home. So you guys have been very patient. You're doing a great job. We've, let's, let's honor the Lord with, with our lives.
take communion um, as a reminder of what Christ has already done for us. We're not, we're not a church who believes, and nor do I believe that the Bible teaches that this becomes his actual body and blood, but it's a reminder of the fact that he actually died. He actually paid the price. He is the ransom necessary for us to be free from our sin. And even as one of you guys prayed tonight that we can be thankful that he is the bread of life that comes down from heaven, that we find our satisfaction in him, that we're all partakers of the same loaf. As we, we come together as a church, it's because the same Lord died for us that we partake together and we do this together as a reminder that Jesus came down from heaven the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we can go up one day and be with him, that he can be that perfect payment for our sins. So as we hold the bread, just say thank you. Make this a part of that thanksgiving to where we're able to be grateful for the sacrifice Christ made for us. So let's pray. I'll pray, and then we'll take it together. Lord, thank you for the gift of the cross. Thank you for the gift of your son. Your word says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We believe that, Lord. And Lord, we want to be partakers with you 
of grace. We want to be a part of your family. And so by faith in Christ, we take this together knowing that Jesus paid the full ransom necessary to free us from our sin, to free us from the payment and the penalty and the power of sin and death. We are so grateful for all that he did for us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Go ahead and take. Now's a good chance to peel that top off if you haven't done that with the juice. And, and remember when Jesus, before he was going to the cross, if, any, if you guys are watching anything as Easter is approaching, as Resurrection Sunday comes nearer and you decide to flip on the Discovery Channel and they, they ask you the stupid question of whether or not Jesus knew he was going to die, what did he do the night before he was, the night he was betrayed, the night before the crucifixion? He said, this is the blood of the new covenant that's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He knew exactly what he was doing. He said, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I take it back up again. When he died on the cross, according to Leviticus chapter 17, it's, which says the life is in the blood, his blood, his life was given for us so that we could have actual real life. Untainted, untainted un, plagued with sin, free real, eternal life. And when we take this, it's not, there's no magic in it. It's a reminder of the fact that the power that was necessary to make the payment for my sin and your sin was done on the cross and it was proven at the empty tomb when Christ raised from the dead. And we can be grateful for that. We can be just we should be the happiest, most joyful people no matter what the circumstances are. Not in a fake way, but every time we remember that this is not my home because Christ is alive. Amen. And he said he would come and bring me to be with him. Yes. We can look forward to those things. So as we, we pray, just remember that, that we can be grateful for what Christ has done, that the full payment necessary for sin was done and paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he did not hold back. We thank you that even as he was sweating great drops of blood, the gospel of Luke tells us, that he said, Father, not my will but yours be done. And he went to the cross. What an insult it would be to think there's some other way of, of coming to salvation, coming to saving knowledge of you. It's only through your son. It's only through the payment he made on the cross. We acknowledge even what we read tonight, that there's one God and one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus who paid the ransom for us all. We are so grateful for what he's done. We're thankful that we have life in him. Lord, help us to grow in that faith and grow in that trust of what you've done and who you are. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take. All right, so we're not going to do another song. What we're going to do is we're going to spend three minutes. That seems like a biblical number. And we're going to just say thank you to the Lord. So I'll, I'll start, and we're just going to say thank you. And when it seems, seems like it's the right time, we'll just dismiss. 
It's a great thing for us to, to leave together being reminded of the fact that we can be thankful. We should be thankful. Of all people in the entire globe, we should be the most thankful because we have eternal life forever and ever and ever, and we've been given free salvation from our God through his son. So let's, let's go ahead and, um, I don't know, it's, this is a little bit awkward, but this is what we're going to do. We're, you can close your eyes if you want, if it makes you feel a little better. But um, we're going to pray and say thank you to, to Jesus. Go ahead and whenever the Lord leads you, and then I'll, I'll close it, um, of just saying thank you to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I've been paid in full. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the underground church in China. Mm-hmm. Thank you that regardless of what we see or experience, you are in control. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you, Lord, for not being content to leave me where I was, but to make me more like you. We thank you, God, that you are the God of the living and not the dead, that you didn't leave us in our sins, but you sent your one and only son to pay, pay for our sins on the cross. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for, I just agree with everything that was prayed. Thank you for these people here tonight. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. Help us to go from here in thanksgiving and prayerfully walking with our God. We love you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.